Welcome to today's excursion on the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. Today is November 22nd, and we are starting our expedition into the Apostle Peter's first epistle today and continuing our trek with the prophet Ezekiel as he reports what he sees in this new temple that he is being shown. And there are implications for both our present and our future. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and it is a joy to bring this podcast while we are on the road in the Pacific Northwest in the United States. We have a lot to cover in our outing today, so let's get started. As always, let's ask the Lord to help us as we read His Word, trusting the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our heart's understanding that we may learn more of the glory of God in the finished work of redemption provided in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Ezekiel chapter 44 is where we start today, and we will read through to chapter 45, verse 12. The Gate for the Prince Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east, and it was shut. And the Lord said to me, This gate shall remain shut, it shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by it. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it. Therefore it shall remain shut. Only the prince may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gate, and shall go out by the same way. Then he brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple. And I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. And I fell on my face. And the Lord said to me, Son of man, mark well, see with your eyes, and hear with your ears all that I shall tell you concerning all the statutes of the temple of the Lord and all its laws, and mark well the entrance to the temple and all the exits from the sanctuary, and say to the rebellious house, to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, O house of Israel, enough of all your abominations in admitting foreigners uncircumcised in heart and flesh, to be in my sanctuary, profaning my temple, when you offer to me my food, the fat, and the blood. You have broken my covenant in addition to all your abominations, and you have not kept charge of my holy things, but you have set others to keep my charge for you in my sanctuary. Thus says the Lord God, No foreigner, uncircumcised in heart and flesh, of all the foreigners, who are among the people of Israel, shall enter my sanctuary. But the Levites, who went far from me, going astray from me after their idols, when Israel went astray, shall bear their punishment. They shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having oversight at the gates of the temple and ministering in the temple. They shall slaughter the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before the people to minister to them. Because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel, therefore I have sworn concerning them, declares the Lord God, and they shall bear their punishment. They shall not come near to me to serve me as priest, nor come near any of my holy things and the things that are most holy, but they shall bear their shame and the abominations that they have committed. Yet I will appoint them to keep charge of the temple, to do all its service and all that is to be done in it. Rules for the Levitical Priests But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept the charge of my sanctuary, 
when the people of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall approach my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. When they enter the gates of the inner court, they shall wear linen garments. They shall have nothing of wool on them, while they minister at the gates of the inner court and within. They shall have linen turbans on their heads, and linen undergarments around their waists. They shall not bind themselves with anything that causes sweat. And when they go out into the outer court to the people, they shall put off the garments in which they have been ministering, and lay them in the holy chambers. And they shall put on other garments, lest they transmit holiness to the peoples with their garments. They shall not shave their heads or let their locks grow long. They shall surely trim the hair of their heads. No priest shall drink wine when he enters the inner court. They shall not marry a widow or a divorced woman, but only virgins of the offspring of the house of Israel, or a widow who is the widow of a priest. They shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the common, and show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. In a dispute they shall act as judges, and they shall judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes and all my appointed feasts, and they shall keep my Sabbaths holy. They shall not defile themselves by going near to a dead person. However, for father or mother, for son or daughter, for brother or unmarried sister, they may defile themselves. After he has become clean, they shall count seven days for him, and on the day that he goes into the holy place, into the inner court, to minister in the holy place, he shall offer his sin offering, declares the Lord God. This shall be their inheritance. I am their inheritance, and you shall give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. They shall eat the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering, and every devoted thing in Israel shall be theirs. And the first of all the firstfruits of all kinds, and every offering of all kinds from all your offerings, shall belong to the priests. You shall also give to the priest the first of your dough, that a blessing may rest on your house. The priest shall not eat of anything, whether bird or beast, that has died of itself or is torn by wild animals. Chapter 45 The Holy District When you allot the land as an inheritance, you shall set apart for the Lord a portion of the land as a holy district, twenty-five thousand cubits long and twenty thousand cubits broad. It shall be holy throughout its whole extent. Of this a square plot of five hundred by five hundred cubits shall be for the sanctuary, with fifty cubits for an open space around it. And from this measured district you shall measure off a section twenty-five thousand cubits long and ten thousand broad, in which shall be the sanctuary, the most holy place. It shall be the holy portion of the land. It shall be for the priests, who minister in the sanctuary and approach the Lord to minister to Him. And it shall be a place for their houses and a holy place for the sanctuary. Another section, twenty-five thousand cubits long and ten thousand cubits broad, shall be for the Levites who minister at the temple, as their possession for cities to live in. Alongside the portion set apart as the holy district, you shall assign for the property of the city an area 
5,000 cubits broad and 25,000 cubits long. It shall be long to the whole house of Israel. The portion for the prince. And to the prince shall belong the land on both sides of the holy district and the property of the city, alongside the holy district and the property of the city, on the west and on the east, corresponding in length to one of the tribal portions, and extending from the western to the eastern boundary of the land. It is to be his property in Israel. And my princes shall no more oppress my people, but they shall let the house of Israel have the land according to their tribes. Thus says the Lord God, Enough, O princes of Israel, put away violence and oppression, and execute justice and righteousness. Cease your evictions of my people, declares the Lord God. You shall have just balances, a just ephah and a just bath. The ephah and the bath shall be of the same measure, the bath containing one-tenth of a homer, and the ephah one-tenth of a homer. The homer shall be the standard of measure. The shekel shall be twenty geras, twenty shekels plus twenty-five shekels plus fifteen shekels shall be your mina. And this concludes our reading from the Old Testament passage from the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 44 can be divided into three parts, the vision of the prince and the eastern gate, in verses 1 through 3, the return of the glory of God to the sanctuary, in verses 4 through 14, and the instruction and privileges given to the Levitical sons of Zadok, in verses 15 through 31. Ezekiel is shown that the eastern gate is shut, and he is informed that the Lord himself had shut it. Just when the gate was shut, we are not told. The glory of the Lord had departed from the east gate, in Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 1 through 22, and chapter 11, verses 22 through 25. However, in a previous vision, Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord returning never to depart. More details will be given in this chapter. There is no evidence that the eastern gate was closed during the time of either Zerubbabel's temple or Herod's temple. The temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. along with the gate. The gate that is there today was rebuilt in the 7th century A.D., perhaps modified during the Crusades and partially destroyed by the Ottoman Turks. The gate was walled up in 1530 A.D. by the Turkish governor of Jerusalem. It has remained closed since. The only one who is permitted to sit inside the gate to eat in the presence of the Lord is the prince. Some commentators believe this to be the Messiah, since Ezekiel 37 verse 25 says, David my servant will be their prince forever. However, the Messiah of the Bible is the anointed king and priest, and this prince is not a priest. He is dependent upon priests serving him. This prince is required to offer a sin offering for himself, whereas the Messiah was a perfect sinless high priest, who offered the perfect once and for all sinless sacrifice for the people. He would not need to make an offering for his own sins. In Ezekiel 45 verse 22 we read, On that day the prince shall provide for himself and all the people of the land a bull for a sin offering. Whether he is David, resurrected, or some other appointed administrative representative of the Messiah in the future, we are told that this prince will serve as an administrator for the entire temple area. 
Ezekiel is told to give attention to the entrance of the temple and all the exits of the sanctuary. He is told that the sons of Zadok will serve in a more privileged position in the new temple system. Those priests who had encouraged the sins of idolatry, the other Levites, were given a subordinate status. They have disqualified themselves by their blemished example. They could guard the temple gates and slaughter the animals, but they could not minister unto the Lord as priests in the inner court. This is a reminder that although leaders who repent of moral failure can be forgiven and restored as worshipers in the house of the Lord, one of the consequences of their sin is that their position in leadership is restricted because they have a responsibility of setting an example. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 13 and 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. The sons of Zadok were rewarded for standing against idolatry and remaining faithful to David. In chapter 44 verses 15 and 16. The regulations for their ministry in verses 17 through 19 remind us of the privileges belonging to believer priests in the New Testament. The sons of Zadok were to minister to the Lord in linen garments. They were not to wear any wool or anything that would cause sweat in verse 18. Linen is a symbol of a righteousness that is not of ourselves, in other words, an alien righteousness. The linen is the product of flaxen seed that falls into the ground and dies in order to bring forth a resurrection harvest. John chapter 12, verse 24. Linen is vegetable. Wool is from an animal. Wool, when worn, can cause sweat, and therefore it serves as a type of self-righteous justification. In this picture, it is forbidden to wear wool when one is ministering to the Lord. A change of clothes is required when the priests go out from the inner court to minister to the people. The dominant theme is that believer priests minister to the Lord first, seek the kingdom of God as their priority, holding fast to the head of the body, so that in all things Christ will have the preeminence. Verse 19. The restrictions on the sons of Zadok are similar to the laws of consecration for those who took the Nazarite vow, in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 21, and the priests that served the tabernacle, in Leviticus chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. Chapter 45 explains the allotment of land for the priests, Levites, and the prince. The law calls for just dealings as well as acceptable worship. The people provide for the service of the tabernacle with their offerings, which are given to the prince. He, in turn, provides for the required offerings that are pleasing to God. Lamar Eugene Cooper writes in the New American Standard Commentary, quote, The system of offerings and sacrifices in the Millennial Temple will offer no alternative plan for salvation. They will picture the mercy and grace of God available through confession of sin, repentance of the sinner, and faith in Jesus the Messiah, who is the perfect sacrifice and all-sufficient offering. End quote. And he references Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now let's go to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, the first epistle of Peter, chapter 1, and we will read through to verse 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, 
in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And this concludes today's reading from the New Testament from the first epistle of Peter. Never cease to be amazed at the gift of salvation. The Apostle Peter tells us that the Spirit of Christ was at work in the Old Testament, inspiring the prophets to diligently portray the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The angels long to behold the wonder of our salvation and are described as leaning in to learn of it even today. Peter describes the wonder of our salvation. We have forgiveness of our past, the transforming power of God's presence within us in the present, and a certain hope for the future. Here in the first chapter, Peter is writing of the mercy we have received. We have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and born of the incorruptible word unto a living hope. His life in us will be tested. Through those testings, no matter how difficult, we will be refined, and our faith will be revealed as pure as gold at the coming of Christ. This apostle had three names. First, he was introduced as Simon, meaning a reed, frail, and perishable as grass. Then Jesus changed his name to Peter, meaning rock. He was also called Cephas, the Aramaic equivalent for Peter. This fallible fisherman became a mighty and solid rock, testifying of the gospel of grace in Jerusalem and to the Jews scattered in Asia Minor. Peter records that he is writing from Babylon, which could either refer to ancient Babylon, Babylon in Egypt, or he could be referring to the city of Rome, using a code name, Babylon. Peter was an apostle ministering predominantly to the Jews, while Paul had been an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's strategy was not to go where another had laid a foundation. Paul had been to Rome before Peter. There is no evidence that Peter founded the Roman church, nor was he the first bishop. This epistle was written about 63 A.D., 
shortly before the fire burned in Rome and Paul's martyrdom, which took place sometime between 64 and 68 AD. The theme is that, in Christ, we have a living hope that emerges from the new life we have received in the new birth. That hope is founded upon the truth of the gospel, Jesus' substitutionary death and his triumphant resurrection, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus has won for every believer an eternal, incorruptible inheritance. Eternity will reveal the great privileges Christ has won for us. We can experience the joy of our salvation now, even while we endure trials. God is perfecting us, and this too will be made clear at the revelation of Jesus Christ at the second coming. We must keep renewing our minds with the truth as we pursue holiness. We will have our challenges in this life. Fix your hope on the future grace. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter calls upon believers to not forget the fact that Jesus purchased us with his precious blood so we could be free from our old life inherited from Adam. Now live as a pilgrim in the light of eternity and love one another. Our next stop in our Bible reading tour is that wonderful Psalm 119 with the theme of the Word of God, and we will be reading from verses 17 through 32. And all the verses in verses 17 through 24 begin with the Hebrew letter Gimel. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Daleth, verses 25 through 32. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. We just read two sections of Psalm 119. Verses 16 through 24 all start with the Hebrew letter Gimel. Verses 25 through 32 start with the Hebrew letter Daleth. Each verse reflects the psalmist's love for the Word. Verse 18 is a prayer we can pray every time we come to read the Bible. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Psalm 119 verse 18 Are the Lord's testimonies your delight? Do you let them counsel you? As you read these words, take note of all that the psalmist says that the Word can accomplish in your life. Now for our final stop in our Bible reading tour, we're going to go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 28, verses 8 through 10.
Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will have a goodly inheritance. Proverbs 28.8 warns us to treat others fairly, and that according to God's law, wealth acquired by unjust means will eventually go to the poor. There were laws in Israel to assure that God's people were not to take advantage of another Israelite's predicament. Verse 9 reminds us that God is not likely to answer the prayers of those who have no intention of obeying Him. Of course He will hear the prayer of sincere repentance. But as the book of James reminds us, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, and that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Proverbs 28.10 reminds us that those caught up in doing evil and leading others to do the same will find themselves getting caught. Those who do right will be rewarded. This also shows that people who have walked righteously are still in danger of being subject to corrupt influences. So we all must be alert and pursue holiness. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we stand amazed as we contemplate the gift of salvation. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, blind to your virtues, and rebels at heart. Yet in your great love you sent your Son to be our sin-bearing Savior, that we would know your mercy. He bore our due punishment under the law, canceling our sin debt, erasing our record of wrong, enriching our present, and giving us a certain hope for our future in your eternal kingdom. We fix our eyes on the future grace that is to be brought to us at the second coming. Help us prepare our minds for action, that we might live as advertisements for the kingdom age to come. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today, and God willing, we'll continue our journey tomorrow. You may be interested to note that each day we also have a section on praying for the nations in our written commentary on the one-year Bible. And if you'd like to subscribe to that and learn more about how you can pray for the nations, you can go to our website and subscribe to the daily email at newlife.org. And again, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to stay in touch with you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And to our friends in the United States, I know that this week many people are traveling to be with their relatives and friends during the Thanksgiving season. And we just pray that God bless you with the true spirit of Thanksgiving and thanks living. Shalom. Shalom.